It's still morning, so I'll say good morning. My name is uh, Larry Rutkowski. I'm, uh, I'm a partner at the law firm of uh, Seward and Kissel, and here to moderate our panel on private equity. I don't know what it says about our panel today and our subject matter when we've had a, a couple of dropouts. First of all, or at least a shift, I don't know what it says with Mike Kirk having moved from the private equity panel to the capital markets panel and Kevin O'Hara having to drop because of an engagement uh, considering he's our restructuring expert. But we have a wonderful panel for you, uh, a group of folks I think you'll find very interesting and uh, very well positioned to, uh, to talk about the, the subject matter at hand. I used to think of private equity, at least in the last decade, as the third leg of a three-legged stool. You had the bank market, you had the capital markets, and you had private equity, the latter of which would sometimes fill in for gaps in the, the first two. One wonders if that's still the case. We sort of heard um, Evan Ulick give a hopefully premature eulogy, but maybe not, for a long-term, low-cost uh, uh, debt finance. And I listened to the capital markets presentations pretty closely, and I heard Doug Mavinock say, if you've got the right opportunity, you can do something. But I kept waiting to hear for a return of that word robust, and I didn't. Um, so I don't know if we'll hear that during our present, uh, presentation now, um, but I, I think it's, um, it's safe to say uh, that uh, private equity has had a major seat on the table uh, since the financial crisis, at least with respect to to, with respect to shipping, and everybody here has had uh, something to do in that area. So let me introduce, um, introduce the panelists, even though I'm sure you uh, know them all well. Um, Peter Sheriff is immediately to my left. He's a principal of American Marine Advisors, AMA. They've been involved. No, he's not. A, he's not American Marine Advisors. Oh, he's technically. Which subsidiary do you represent? AMA Capital. All right, he's private equity, so it's AMA Capital today. All right. Um, you're still a principal, though, right? Yes. Okay. Got that right. Um, and we have um, Art, Art Regan from uh, Apollo Management. Art, as you all know, has had an interesting career. He's been in the uh, technical business of uh, shipping. He's uh, run a portfolio company and now manages um, Apollo's investments in um, shipping space and probably does some other things he can uh, uh, talk about. We have um, uh, Johan uh, Manaya of uh, Evercore. Um, I think uh, Johan's done a number of things. He's had some, um, uh, done a lot of work in the uh, M&A area. For those of you who don't know uh, Johan uh, well, you, you should get to know him. He's a very interesting guy. Had the ability to listen to a very insightful presentation he did uh, for a NIMAR uh, program uh, earlier this year, so thank you. And um, on um, my far left, your far right, we have uh, Paulo Almeida from uh, Tufton Oceanic. Many of you know um, uh, Paulo and certainly know uh, Tufton Oceanic. It's been in the, in the business a long time. Paulo's responsibilities include principally portfolio management, so he's managing um, a lot of private equity money in the industry and hopefully can shed some light on um, what sectors he thinks are the sectors that will continue to see investment. But let's go back to um, sort of my original theme is to where private equity um, is today. I think all of you would agree uh, that we don't have as many investors sitting out there on today as we've, we've had in the past. While it was a big infusion of private equity capital immediately following 
uh, the financial crisis. I think the second and third and maybe fourth waves of that uh, uh, capital have been smaller, more, more targeted, um, and maybe not the pure equity investments we've seen in the past. Um, Peter, could you start us off and talk a little bit about your perspective? Can you hear me? Yeah, there we go. Um, Larry's right. I think there was a, a lot of money lost uh, in the early cycles. I think people made bets. Private equity simply made bets. They saw prices down, tried to come in, didn't quite work. Um, then they sort of build portfolios, hire good men like Art to run them because they thought they'd be out of them. You actually were never planned to have a job. Yes, that's true. <laughs> they never really I'm wanted lucky. you, right? Um, and now, the money that is there, we see looking at different structures, debt-related structures, uh, preferred instruments, just other ways that they're not sort of first loss um, positions. Um, and we're seeing it hard to find new money. There is new money out there. It's opportunistic, I think, as was sort of mentioned on one of the other calls, but it's, it's much harder. This room's thinned out quite a lot from even a couple of years ago. Yes, I agree. Is there anything you think structurally about the way private equity operates normally, uh, whether it's the shorter horizon um, that they, they look at? The five, you know, traditionally, it was a five to seven year investment. Those are the those private equity companies that got cans, in shipping realized yeah. that short term became long term. Yeah, pretty I think quickly. we've seen the can kick down the road somewhat. It's sort of, but a lot of the funds now that came in earlier in the end of that sort of seven to ten year cycle, you know, we've partnered with Vade, um, as many of you know, and we're sort of loosening up on some of our investments. We just sold some ships, sold some other parts of the portfolio. So, you know, private equity does have a time horizon. Uh, you know, Art can probably speak more to that than. Yeah, maybe, maybe you yeah. could speak to that, Art, and give us a little bit of background about what you've been doing. Well, d definitely the standard private equity investment in any industry is going to have a term life because they're operating off a bespoke fund that will have a time when they have to return the capital to investors. And shipping seemed like that 10 years ago or when the kind of private equity boom started because if you look back at that point in the previous 10 years, we had the golden years. Lots of liquidity, lots of value creation. As we all know, in the last 10 years, that, that hasn't been the case, and the liquidity and the market cap of shipping has been dramatically reduced. So the natural exit hasn't been there, and that's been a major problem for private equity. So I would say it's, as a broad stroke, it's kind of off limits. The shipping industry is off limits to the pure, high beta, high return private equity for now. But the larger firms and what others have done, I think, over the years is expand the types of capital that are invested in shipping, and with that come much more investment in structured finance, things that you can actually depend on a little bit more than we could back in the, in, in the late, uh, let's say, 2009, 2010, when it seemed like, okay, we're in a trough, this is a collapsed market, let's put all this capital in and, and get out, and it just hasn't really recovered for a number of reasons, which some of which we'll, we'll cover later on. But you know, I would say that the, the difference is uh, private equity is much, much more disciplined now than they were, definitely looking for more structured investments. There has to be a plan. I think stress testing needs to be covered. You cannot just hope that the market is going to increase and asset values will increase. You have to have some kind of plan and strategy for, a, for, for liquidating or producing income even in a poor market. So I would say generally it's much more disciplined, more structured, uh, but 
it's not the big ticket equity that we saw 10 years ago, and that's something that the industry is needing to get used to, and I think is and will, because it'll find its own path, um, and we're in the middle of that. So it's, overall, I think it will be healthy, but we have a bit more to go to kind of work through the existing private equity that's still stuck. Johan, could you expand on, on that a bit? Uh, I mean, traditionally, we've all heard, those of us who aren't PE people ourselves, have always heard that the PE folks are aggressive, looking for high returns. They want the easy exit. We've now heard a couple of people say that's not the case anymore, or at least the easy exit's not there. What do you think that means in terms of structural changes in the PE market? Yeah, no, I, I fully agree with Peter and, and Art. Um, I, two things. One, I think private equity investors today are engaging in shipping, but they're a lot more opportunistic. They're, there's, not, there's no longer the case of easy capital as we saw in 2012 and 2013. And, and they're still trying to harvest those legacy investments. So one thing that they are engaging in today is those structured vehicles. One of the attractiveness is, as you've seen, the European banks dramatically reduce their lending. They're entering, you see them more, more activity in, in with, with respect to alternative lending. And obviously there's more of the risk-adjusted return, but the, one, the good part about those investments is if you are lending to a, a good ship owner with a good balance sheet, there's certainty in when you're gonna exit, hopefully, and you know what return you're gonna get instead of the pure equity plays that they did in, in 2013. And the other thing that I would say in terms of harvesting their investments, you'll, I think you'll continue to see a trend of more um, ship for shares transactions, especially with the PE guys who made a little bit more of the, the smaller investments, with the market where it is today, and the trading liquidity, especially in the, the tanker market, you'll, you'll, you'll continue to see those type of transactions. And obviously, in terms of the legacy investments, they, the pathway of the traditional exit that PE guys see, which is one, either an IPO at a very attractive valuation. We know, obviously, that hasn't played out well and it's been shut. And two, there's really no cash player out there to do a full-on acquisition. The only thing that they're trying to work on right now is get a, cl a step closer to that liquidity. And you've seen that trend recently with CPLP and Diamond S and with Poseidon and GSL. And I think as the market continues to improve, there should be more activity. In yeah, I'll come back to some of those themes, but I don't want to forget Paolo just because he's on the far end of the panel. You're actually managing the money for that you've raised in a private as as a private equity manager and investor. Would you agree with what you what you've heard, or do you have a different perspective? Um, I don't think I disagree with anything that my fellow panelists have said, but we just have. At Tufton, most of the capital that we manage, we just have a different um, uh, investment strategy than traditional large generalist private equity firms and, and distressed uh, investing firms have. So what, what we've been doing uh, in most of this has been over the past five years or so when we've invested around a billion dollars in institutional money in about 60, 70 ships um, over that period, most of which is in private funds and about a quarter of which is in a, a London-listed fund that we manage. We are buying vessels on a 100% basis with, in most cases, zero leverage, in a few cases with moderate leverage on some ships that have long-term charters. We have a diverse portfolio of ships. We have a three to four year average charter length. Um, and we're generating 12 or 13% cash-on-cash unlevered yields uh, on that portfolio. 
So it's very different from the traditional model of buy, of buy and, and build and then list. We're basically in structures where our, our investors are prepared to own the ships for a very long time, um, 10 years, possibly more. And as long as we're producing those types of cash returns, which are actually not far off historical averages in shipping, and we've been buying assets cheaply, um, for our investors, it's a very good diversifier from other asset classes that have become very expensive. So they think that real estate is expensive, it's yielding 4% unlevered, and they think that there's some downside in, in real estate um, uh, prices uh, globally. Um, infrastructure, renewable energy, aircraft, credit, everything is sort of priced for perfection, and shipping definitely isn't price for perfection. Is there a little bit of downside risk? We're in shipping, of course there is. But if you have three to four year charter length, uh, charter coverage, then you know that you're covered for a, a, a decent amount of, uh, of that time. And actually the downside is fairly limited. So you're still bullish on the investment of capital from an equity perspective in shipping? N not, un not universally. I mean, we think that right now is a very good time to continue to invest as some of these legacy assets from banks and even in some private equity firms uh, need to come to market at the same time that there are very, very significant supply side tailwinds, IMO 2020 forcing slow steaming, um, very few new build orders because no one knows what type of ship they wanna own between 2030 and 2050 as environmental regulations kick in uh, on an increasing basis, so the order book is very low. So we think buying uh, fairly fuel-efficient middle-aged ships, 10 to 12-year-old uh, vessels, um, is a very, very good investment strategy at this time. Thank you. Uh, Johan, you mentioned the, uh, the Diamond S um, uh, capital shipping transaction. Do you think that is sort of a model um, exit strategy uh, for private equity um, investments today? Art, you may have a view on this as, uh, um, as well, or is it just too unique uh, to be applicable across the board? Well, Larry, I think if you're sort of alluding specifically to sort of a spin merger, um, seeing those trends again, I think, you know, it was sort of a unique transaction, and hopefully we'll see more of those, but it needs to work for bo both parties. Obviously, CP uh, CPLP being an MLP, where you had sort of um, middle-age middle or older um, product tankers that were operating in the spot market, that's not conducive to an MLP. So that creative idea of a spin merger, where Diamond S, you had a legacy PE guys, like Invesco and First Reserve being there for a long time in the name, that worked, that idea of spinning and merging that transaction to get at least a pathway forward to liquidity. Did it solve Invesco and First Reserve's um, goal of monetizing their investments? No, now they need to work on it, right? But I, I think the, the bigger trend is the idea of larger portfolios that PE guys own. I think you'll continue to see that trend of merging into a publicly listed um, platform. And you had Kelso, again, another one with a long time in the investment with Poseidon, and another one that tried to take it public, but the markets weren't there a few years ago. That was another creative way for them to get access to, to liquidity. Uh, do you think we're likely to see um, more uh, consolidators like Starbolt, when it picked up very recently, Delphin's fleet? Do you think there's more of that that's, uh, that's going to happen? What do you think, Art? 
I do, I do. The, um, the, the public companies that have been able to grow much larger and increase their liquidity uh, will continue to be active, I believe. Uh, it's uh, it's kind of wide open for them because of the situation with so many equity sponsors holding on to ships, so it's a perfect solution. So I, I do think we'll see a lot more of that. The um, private equity investor who is holding assets has been kind of worn down. By that I mean their options have been dropping uh, like this private equity panel participants did in the, in the be before this morning. And uh, so I do think we're going to see a lot more of that, and it's, it's a very good thing, because when we talk about liquidity in any other industry, and we see 5, 10, 20, 30, 40 billion dollar companies, we've convinced ourselves that a billion dollars market cap is a, is a big company, need to be there. But in the grand scheme of capital markets, it's still an extremely small size. So uh, the previous panel was talking about 2 billion. Uh, really the bigger the better. So those that do already have some scale and have some momentum, I do think will continue to be very active and I think it's a good thing for the industry that they do so. Yeah, but I, I would, Please. Did, no, I, I would just sort of caution it because I've seen it, I'm on the board of a couple of sort of private equity held companies that there is a desire now because of this lack of liquidity, because there are not that many big players able to consolidate, that you start if you're going to, lighten your load, start selling your assets as sort of onesies and twosies. Uh, and I think you will actually see more uh, of those type of transactions, you know, literally being done through the traditional brokerage network. Um, because I think there are a lack of potential consolidators and everybody, you know, it, it's price driven, right? Piece by piece. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I think you'll see a fair amount of that as people start lightening up and taking money off the table. But because of the valuation gaps with the public companies, it becomes an obvious. Right. Anyone's going to say, why, why would I trade into a stock that's at 60% NAV when I can just sell the assets? But how do you sell 40 or 50? It takes time. So I agree. We'll see some more trickle on individual asset sales in order to monetize at the right valuation. Mm -hmm. But the way the tanker market and, and hopefully other markets now are turning back up to NAV, it's uh, really interesting how that might change that because all of a sudden your, your value... Uh, don't feel so uh, injured in the, from the valuation. But I, I agree, I think we'll continue also see individual asset sales. If there continues to be this um, decoupling, if you will, of, uh, of stock market valuation of a company and its, um, its, its book value or fair market value liquidation sort of analysis, um, why then do we think that there are gonna be new structures uh, from private equity and uh, vehicles that are equity linked. I think there's a lot of money out there that wants to, <laughs> be, wants to be put to work somehow, <laughs> somewhere. Yes. Shipping is still somewhat on the radar, um, uh, but I think they've seen a lot of losses from some of your friends and some of your neighbors um, that they want to try something different. I think some of the perpetual preferred that C-SPAN for example, started on that right. type of thing. That type of structure has some sort of appeal to private equity. Um, Johan probably can comment. Yeah, no, I, I would agree. And I was, you know, I would just say add, we're still in show me mode, right? It's, yeah. it's been a long time where most all the verticals have been trading at a big discount to net asset value. It's just been in recent weeks. So hopefully, the, you know, there's obviously strong momentum that we've heard prior um, panelists um, speak to the to the market. Um, but I think we're still in show, show me mode. and. And PE guys did learn their lessons from their 2012, 2013 um, days. Hmm. 
Uh, Paolo, you, you mentioned the kind of rates of return that you're providing on an unlevered basis to, to your investors. Do you think that's because of the sources of your capital, that that's uh, more modest than the big PE firms have sought in the past and distinguishes you? Well, I think you always have to look at risk and return together. And um, I think that's something that is often forgotten um, uh, in the shipping industry. So we're producing what I think we would consider moderate uh, risk and return. Um, at the same time, we have you know zero to low leverage on the assets. And the key for an investment manager is to match an investment strategy with the right sources of capital for those types of deals. Um, you know, we're not going to go to a big private equity firm um, or the uh, traditional sort of buyout um, team within a large pension fund with uh, this investment strategy for shipping. And I, I don't think the traditional buyout model works where you're targeting 15 to 20% returns in shipping. The only way you can do that is either with a lot of luck or with a lot of, a lot of leverage. And leverage in, 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 in shipping, um, if it doesn't match your employment strategy, um, often works on the downside rather than the, rather than the upside. So finding the right sources of capital for um, uh, an investment strategy is absolutely key. So as, as I sort of alluded to before, a lot of our uh, investors are looking for a, a segment that produces significantly higher yields than commercial real estate on an unlevered basis mm -hmm. without too much more risk. And that's what uh, we think that we've, we've created. A lot of young men and women fresh out of business school would come to you and say, why don't you leverage? Because you can always, with leverage, uh, goose your return. And if I hear you correctly, what you're saying is that it also increases your risk and maybe affects the ability of the uh, end user to generate enough revenue to pay that leverage? Um, I would, um, you mentioned business school, you know, particularly if um, someone were to say that, I would ask them to go back to, um, you know, the capital structure work that they should have done, Modigliani and Miller, um, in terms of why, why actually do you want to have a lot of debt in shipping? It actually makes very little sense because there's no tax in shipping. And one of the key... Not for the moment, anyway. No, well, that could, <laughs> that could change, as could a lot of stuff um, in, the, in the current world and with the current world leaders that we have. But um, if there's no tax shield benefit uh, to interest uh, in shipping, unlike the other industries where LBOs do benefit from, from leverage, why would you do, a, do that? The other aspect is you, there's the incentive argument which is that if you put a lot of debt on your company, your management team's gonna work harder. You know, that may make sense for a cookie factory because they can trim costs, they can come out with a new set of, uh, a new type of cookie. But in the shipping industry, are your guys really gonna work harder to make an extra dollar on a VLCC in a totally commoditized market just because there's a lot of debt? Doesn't, doesn't really make sense. Hmm. You Thank have to you. match the capital structure to the operating structure that you have. Peter, would you say matching the uh, capital, the investment to an appropriate capital structure for a shipping company today is more challenging, less challenging? As the banks have pulled back, 
what is that what does that do to a yeah, I mean, capital uh, structure? No, so I think as the banks have pulled back, suddenly we've seen private equity coming into this sort of alternative debt type structures. Um, I think you used a word earlier, robust. Um, and I've always said until industry fundamentals are really strong, I think it's hard to attract people. And maybe everybody wants a VLCC today, right? Rate returns are good, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, but I, I think we, we still lack the sort of, you know, the fundamentals that are upside. I mean, good Lord, I've been at so many conferences the last few years where the dry carbon market is going to get better, you know, in the next six months. And that, until that really happens and there's sustained recovery, it's hard to attract people to the business generally. And then when they come in, they're going to want the sort of more refined structures. But once you've had to sustain recovery, then there's always the fear that you're at the top of the cycle. Yeah, and then we get to the 300,000 <laughs> VL, so it's there, Larry. You, yeah. you know it's there. Yep. Um, I, I think I, me I mentioned to, uh, to you all in, a, in an email recently that I was struck that the uh, most recent Mergers and Acquisitions magazine, which is not a shipping publication, um, cover story was called Spend It or Lend It. And it was about um, uh, the, the dilemma facing uh, uh, private equity as to whether they should invest in companies uh, generally or if they should just lend. Now, I don't want to step too far into the territory of our alternative investing panel this afternoon, but is lending a viable strategy for a PE fund, PE-sponsored fund? I think we've seen some in the past, but can you get the kinds of returns you want? Yeah, I, I think the, the short answer is yes. Um, as Peter mentioned, there's PE guys have a lot of capital um, to deploy. And uh, at least if they look outside of shipping, maybe a lot of the other verticals, um, they're priced quite heavy. Um, so when they look at, at shipping, where they obviously were in, um, as I mentioned earlier, um, pretty predominantly in the early two, uh, 2012, 2013, I think um, when they, on the lending side, in this low yield environment that we have globally, if you can still lend to a ship owner, let's say just getting up to an LTV of 60 to 65%, depending on the fleet appointment, employment, getting those the higher you know, nine, 10% um, cost of debt, it is an attractive platform for them. And I think you'll continue to see that, that trend. Art? The idea of alternative equity in the debt markets is, is changing rapidly and it, it's pretty complex. And but by that I mean, when we look at the typical capital structure of shipping being 70% debt, then 30% equity, that's now 50% or even 40%. Where is that additional capital coming from? It seems natural that, okay, private equity is going to step in, but to your point around matching the equity source with the, the actual product, um, you just can't do it. It becomes too expensive. It's not going to be a product that most shipping companies are going to be able to manage. So I think in evolution, at least I can speak on, on, on behalf of Apollo, the larger, the larger companies that have multiple sources of funding, like for example, Apollo has, is in control of insurance proceeds and, and uh, they have a few insurance companies that has a, probably the lowest cost of capital. So can that be applied into first lien senior secured ship lending at a rational margin for the ship owner where the, that capital from our side can get a, a appropriate return? Yes, it can. Uh, could you do the same thing with private equity that's still looking for 15 or 20%? N no way, N no way. So it's, uh, 
it's, it, I think we're in a transition. Like, where is that additional capital coming from since the debt markets are in the 40 to 50 percent tranche right now? So it has to come from somewhere. And I think over time, since the opportunity for new equity is, is expanding, although banks are recovering and there's been some new players, by and large, we're still looking at a gigantic dislocation from where we were 10 years ago from the debt capital market. So I do think that slowly but surely the right capital will show up at the doorstep and most of it is going to need a pretty modest return because it, you just cannot stress a shipping company with 10% or higher debt for very long. So I think we're in a transition. It's gonna take some time um, and, for example, Apollo is, is trying to access an entire new source of capital, and that's, uh, that's the insurance market. So we'll probably see more of that as well. But, but the private equity returns have generally declined in, in terms of ability to get the, you know, when we started with private equity coming in, it was always 20% plus, mm -hmm. you know, as a minimum. And then they gave all your projections a haircut and, and then another haircut, and they still wanted over 20%. I mean, I think... It's a function of there being so much money out there chasing the limited number of opportunities. It's a, it's a good point. So the, the concept of private equity funds is changing. They're more credit-oriented funds just because there's not enough 20% deals. So I, I agree. And, and shipping is caught right in the middle. It's, you know, where, it's not much you can say. Where can you get 20%? It's not a, not a common thing in the last 10 years. So we're, uh, we're going to have a shortfall. So how much of the reticence of PE firms to get deeper into the shipping markets now is because um, their valuations and appraisals of uh, uh, the industry and its cash generation abilities suggest you can't get 20%, um, you have to look at more modest returns. And how much is it because in 2008, 2009, 2010, it looked like a quick asset play and turned out not to be? Or is it some combination of both? I think it's a, it's a combination of that and also that um there are enough firms now with institutional memory of uh, capital put to work in 2013, uh, 12, uh, 14. The, in, in shipping, it's actually very difficult to put a lot of money to work um, if you're, if you're a, a mega fund. Um, you know, we, we have, uh, as friends in some deals, um, some of the big USP firms, and they really don't want to look at a strategy unless they're pretty sure they can invest, say, $10 billion in it. Um, that's pretty difficult. That's pretty difficult to do uh, in shipping. So if you can if you can put fifty billion dollars to work buying shale oil fields, shopping malls, hotels, um, and uh, there's no sort of negative institutional memory in those sectors or or even in retail, um, why would you want to fight a massive uphill battle to try to invest two or three billion dollars in in shipping? Um, and I think that's probably right that the uh, funds targeting 15 to 20 percent returns should not be investing in shipping. Right. So what investment we see in the future from private equity is largely going to be much smaller ticket than we see today. I see yeah. nodding of the heads. Uh, anybody want to elaborate I, on that? No, on I think this? absolutely. I think they got the wake up call of how hard it is to exit if you made a big check. Um, and as I mentioned earlier and as other uh, panelists have mentioned the ship for share trend, I think, will be prominent um, in the coming um, months and, and next year um, as um, valuations have gone up. That's an easier way 
to exit and hopefully get a higher return. And as Peter mentioned, and if it doesn't work out, hopefully with a smaller scale platform, you can sell in block, or sorry, sale at opportune time in the cycle and you're just your traditional S&P broker. Thank you. All right, or Peter, did you want to uh, elaborate on, on that? The, uh, w when we're talking about credit-oriented funds, it, it is so much different than, than pure private equity, which is the high yield. So the, the credit funds, can you can have a, a fund with a slice of 6 to 7% or 8 to 9% or 5 to 6%. It's a very specific type of returns. Um, you can't do a billion dollars of that in shipping, as, as, uh, as we heard. And, but you can do a structured deal that's a much smaller ticket and put f um, a contract on it so that it's, it's pretty predictable. Um, so I, I think, yes, that most of the alternative equity that we're going to see is in more smaller ticket structured deals. The billion dollar deals have gone into the offshore industry where we've made a good living doing restructuring. So yeah. um, we're happy for that. Yeah. Um, it, as Paolo said, you can't put a billion dollars to work in shipping. It's, it's sort of, to me personally, it's sort of interesting because as you can tell from the color of my hair, I've been doing this for a while. Some of the first transactions I ever worked on were um, deals that were either funded directly or indirectly by insurance companies or pension funds. There was, a, there was a pretty much a direct institutional market into the industry, which got supplanted largely by banks. Um, who were nimble and, and, and able to move, um, you know, quickly, and were comfortable doing some short, sometimes shorter term, or, or you know, medium term or longer term deals. So times have changed. Um, we have just about a minute left. Anybody have any questions for our our panelists? Seeing none. Well, I have no further parting thoughts. Any, anybody here want to want to say anything in our last uh, 24 seconds? No, I won't put them under any pressure. So thank you very much. Thank you, Nicholas, for uh, uh, inviting us all to be part of this uh, presentation today.